Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojos, I'm Amy and I'm Ali and we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently on a year off together, waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. In the meantime, we decided to set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently, women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need confidence to make some big changes, then keep listening as we have some brilliant guests. In this episode, we speak with Siobhan Daniels, who is travelling around the UK full-time in her motorhome. Listen as she tells us all about her retirement life on the road. Enjoy. So welcome along, everyone, to another episode of the Living Life Differently podcast. We're delighted to have with us today a lady called Siobhan Daniels. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing very well, thank you. Sat in a field here in North Norfolk, waiting to get going in a week's time. Yay! (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we know, obviously, a little bit about you and your journey at the moment. Um, It'd be great if you could tell our listeners a bit about who you are, um, how old you are, where you are, and what you're doing with life at the moment. Gosh, uh, what am I doing with life? God only knows. Um, I'm Siobhan Daniels. I'm 61 years young. I'll be 62 in July. Um, I, I'm a Yorkshire lass. I was born in Leeds uh, to an Irish Catholic family, four boys, four girls. So we were all very competitive and combative and everything. So a very exciting childhood. Uh, I was a nurse for nine years. Uh, I trained in Leeds as a nurse. Then I had a a wonderful daughter, Samantha, who's 32. And at that time, I decided to teach myself to type, do typing exams. And I got a job as a a trainee reporter for the BBC in radio. So I went off and trained to do that. Then I became a single mum. Sammy was about four. So I brought her up on my own. I worked 10 years in radio. Uh, producer, presenter, reporter. Then I moved to television, uh, moved down south to Tunbridge Wells and worked at Southeast Today Television for 20 years, producer, presenter, reporter. Um, And I retired 18 months ago, got rid of most of my stuff, got rid of my flat and bought myself a motorhome and decided I wanted to travel Great Britain in my motorhome, challenging ageism and championing pro-aging. And that's me in a nutshell. That's a really fascinating kind of journey that you've been on in terms of career-wise then. So from nursing to going to radio, how was that as a transition? Well, I'd always been interested in in the news and current affairs. So I'd I'd had it in my head, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, And I'd kind of come to the end of the road with nursing. I loved nursing, worked hard, played hard and did love it but I was ready for the transition so when I got pregnant with my daughter it was the right time for me to, to, to try and make that move I was 29 30 um, and I thought it's now or never so when I did my typing exams um, I applied for a job at the local radio station and I managed to get a job just as a receptionist a foot in the door and I heard the advertisement come up for the BBC trainee reporter scheme and seven and a half thousand people applied for 26 places and I was lucky enough to get one of those places and my my partner had already sort of shown signs that that we weren't going to be a long time partnership and so I kind of thought the writing on the wall is that I'm going to be a single mum so either take this chance and go and train to be a journalist and give Sammy and I a good quality of life or you know be a part-time nurse and trying to juggle that so 
I then I went to be a journalist. I got support from family and friends when I did the training and uh, never looked back, really. And I love journalism. I've had hard times and good times, but I do love journalism. And the BBC was a great organisation to work for. Brilliant. And then that career lasted then in, in total 30 years. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah I did 10 years in radio. Um, I went, worked at loads of different radio stations. I worked at Radio Leeds, Radio Sheffield, Radio Lincolnshire, Radio Cleveland, um, and then Radio Humberside, where I had um, a program. I presented a program on Radio Humberside, um, and I did news and reporting. And I was there for about six years. Um, and then when I was just approaching forty, um, I wanted another challenge. So I thought I fancied going into television. So I applied for a job down in Tunbridge Wells. Didn't even know where it was, to be honest. Um, and But it was the first digital television station that the BBC was setting up. And I wanted to be involved in that and the cutting edge of, of, of um, digital technology. And uh, so I applied for the job, got the job. And my daughter and I moved down there, didn't know anybody, didn't know the area or anything, and kind of started again when I was 40. Um, but we made a life for ourselves and she got a, a place at the local grammar school and got a really good education. Um, and we stayed there for 20 years. Fantastic. And you mentioned that 18 months ago you retired then from your work in television. Yeah. Well, when my daughter, when I was nearly 50 and my daughter went off to university, I decided that I wanted a gap year from work. Um, and so I went to my boss, got a gap year from work, packed a rucksack and went off around the world on my own, travelling, um, which was fantastic. But I felt ageless and, and I got this little seed in my head then that when I retire, I want to buy a motorhome um, and, and carry on travelling. And so I retired 18 months ago. And in the run up to it, I kept telling everybody, I'm going to buy a motor, I'm going to get rid of all my stuff. And I think they just thought I was talking nonsense. And as it came up to my retirement, people were saying, oh, my God, you're actually going to do this, aren't you? And I said, yep. Um, and at the same time, I was becoming increasingly cross about the way that older people were were reflected in society images of them being used you know crinkly hands and stuff like that whenever you saw an article about older people and um, they were sort of reduced to body parts feet or hands or whatever and also the narratives around aging people talking negatively about being old and getting old and I wanted to go out there and champion pro-aging and challenge ageism and challenge stereotypes of what people think retired pensioners do and alongside that I was getting cheated I sound like an angry old woman don't I I was getting cheesed off with um watching everybody going out working really hard to spend lots of money buying stuff that they didn't really need but because they needed to, to pay for that stuff and they spent longer hours at work and couldn't spend time with family and friends including me at times and I just thought we're getting it all wrong we need to to change so I I kind of thought I know I can live with less because I'd live with a rucksack of stuff for a year so I decided I got rid of my flat got rid of most of my possessions I've still got some in a garage at my sister-in-law's but I got rid of most of my possessions, bought my motorhome, and I've been on the road now for a year and a half. And, and I'm I'm loving it. There's good times and bad times, but I'm proving you can live with very little 
and and you know and I am going out there championing uh, pro aging, saying, look, this is what people of sixty one, sixty two are doing and older. Yeah. There's some lots and lots of different things I'd really like to talk more about here. Um, some things that you mentioned already. I didn't realise the um, backpacking bit at the age of fifty because we've read you know some of your blog posts and follow you, followed you on Instagram and things. Tell me about that. Well, to be honest, I was struggling with the menopause. Um, uh, I'd, I'd had to have um, what I call my hysterectomy, a hysterectomy, but I call it my hysterectomy um, because I had precancerous cells. So I had that, and so and I so I dive bombed into a surgical menopause, but didn't really know that that all the signs and symptoms of cotton wool head and feeling anxious and feeling weepy and not sleeping were all part and parcel of that menopause. So uh, being in a very pressurised newsroom, I, I was just struggling with things and life was getting on top of me. At the same time, one of my brothers died um, from uh, lung cancer at 53 and my daughter was going off to university, so I was going to be on my own, the empty nest thing. So everything kind of came together, and I just felt overwhelmed with life. And I remember lying in bed thinking, you know, I just want to kind of break free from everything and just go off and travel. Because I used to travel a lot before I, I, I had my daughter. I'd been around India and all sorts of things. But I stopped to be a grown-up, to be a single mum. And, and so... Um, so the seeds were in my head. And at that time I owned a three bedroomed house and, and, and cars and everything. And I thought, right, I, I so, sold everything there. <laughs> bought myself around, put money in the bank, bought myself around the world ticket, saw my daughter off to university. And I didn't really know where I was going to go. All I did with the ticket was buy a ticket to Southeast Asia for three months, Australia for a couple of months, New Zealand for a couple of months, Fiji for a month, um, um, Vancouver to go see relatives, and then South America for three months or whatever. So I had a vague idea of the areas I was going, but no big master plan. And I remember sitting on the aeroplane when I was leaving um, at Heathrow and bursting into tears thinking oh my god I've I've really got to do this now I'd enjoyed all the build-up and the excitement of everyone going by and the attention I suppose but when I was sat on the plane I thought god you've got to do this you've got to put your money where your mouth is and the the loneliest I felt was the first three nights because I booked a hotel in Bangkok thinking I needed to be sensible and be safe but actually it was just soulless it was like any hotel anywhere you know the same bedside tables the same format and once I got in the hostels and got mixing with people who were traveling of all ages then it worked you know and I just I talked to people and they'd say have you been here are you going there and I'd make my plans depending on conversations I had you know with different people so it was brilliant did you, did you meet people uh, a similar age from you or was it mainly young kind of traditional gap year backpackers? A lot of the time in Bangkok and around there, it was the traditional, the younger ones. Um, but then I went to uh, Krabi, an island um, off um, Thailand, and um, I met a group of younger people who ended up calling me their travel mummy. And I met them at various places. They used to put me on Facebook and say, Are "You going to be here and meet up with us?" But alongside meeting younger people, I became 
aware that there were quite a lot of people in the late 40s and their 50s doing what I was doing, tended to be couples, a lot of couples doing it. But the International Youth Hostel Association, their youth hostels are geared up for slightly older people as well. And they've got little travel agents in and ideas of where to go, what to do and discounts for things. And and you feel quite safe in those kind of hostels. So I mixed with with different age groups and I made friends. I I remember walking along a beach in Co-PP and I just sneezed and somebody said, oh, bless you behind me. And it was an Australian couple. I'm still really good friends with them now. And their children have been to stay with me in England. And my daughter went to Melbourne to them. And, you know, it's amazing the kind of lifelong friends I made on the journey. Brilliant. And did the trip last the full year that you planned? And did you get? Yeah, I did did Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And then, and Vietnam, it was the coldest it had been in 40 years. It was just incredibly cold and wet and rainy and, oh. And at that stage, I was thinking, what am I doing? I remember one night with my little gloves, with three bars of this little fire thing they'd give me just to keep warm in my room because they didn't have the infrastructure to heat it because it had not been that cold. And and my my gloves were really wet and I was trying to dry them and they started melting in front of the thing. And I just remember bursting into tears thinking, oh, God, what am I doing? So there were low points and high points. Then I left there and I went to Australia which was brilliant fun. I was there for three months and my niece was in Sydney. So she met me and we went for a lovely meal and look, and then my daughter flew to Melbourne to meet me. Um, and the couple that I'd met in CoPP, they took some of my winter clothing and things with them back to Melbourne. So I went and stayed with them and then they came and picked my daughter up at the airport and we stayed with them for a while and they took us around Um, And then my daughter came back up with me. We travelled up together to Sydney and met my niece and climbed Sydney Harbour Bridge together, me, my niece and her, which was great. Um, And then I travelled in the outback in Australia, which was great. Um, I stayed on a sheep farm. And then I went to New Zealand, did all kinds of crazy things in New Zealand. I did a skydive from 13,000 feet, which was uh, brilliant. I would recommend that to anybody. I'm frightened of heights and I thought but it was brilliant I love that then Fiji was just fabulous it was so beautiful and I was able to just chill and reflect on life and everything on the beaches because it was nothing to do just walking and swimming and which is good and then I sort of veered off to Vancouver to stay with relatives which was really good then back again and did um, Brazil Argentina Bolivia and Peru with um my sister-in-law, the wife of my brother that had died before I left, I'd said to her, we'd been lifelong friends. We both started nursing together. And I said to her, look, if you feel up to it, meet me in South America. And she did do. So we did the last three months in South America together, which was really good. And we finished off. Um, we went to Lake Titicaca, which I just love. I used to ring her up all the time and she was in Yorkshire. And I'd say, I'll see you in Lake Titicaca. <laughs> <laughs> so we met up and uh, we had a great trip and we finished it off in Machu Picchu um, in Peru. So that was that was an amazing trip. And then I went back to work again when I came back. What was that like, The you know, after such a fantastic year away and all those experiences, you know, doing brand new things, going to places you've never been before? What's it like then coming back to work? Did you feel refreshed and invigorated or did did you start to think that you needed to do things differently? I felt that I I came back and and 
I, I could face anything and, you know, I was a different person. I was so strong, you know, because I'd suffered with the menopause and everything beforehand. But unfortunately, I encountered um, ageism and bullying with senior people where I was. And it didn't take long for me to feel battered and and sort of bruised again by the system. Um, and I struggled a bit because I felt I'd found myself traveling around the world. I thought I was strong and invincible. And also, after being 50, um, I'd... Um, I, I just felt I was strong enough to say no to things, but I felt battered. And then one of my sisters uh, um, died at 53 of lung cancer. So that hit me hard because my brother died, then my sister died. And I just went into myself and lost myself again. And then my daughter said, come on, we need to do something. We need to do something positive. And she got me um, running and we went and we did the, the Brighton Marathon. Uh, together and then two years after that we did the London Marathon so in my 50s I did the London Marathons and after that I found myself again when I crossed the finish lines of both those marathons I just felt I could do anything and it just gave me an inner confidence and a core strength that I've never really lost since then and it and I was able to sort of stand up to my bosses more and make my plans to do this so Yes, the round the world trip gave me some courage and confidence um, and a vision of what I wanted to do in the future. But I lost it with the bullying and ageism and things again, which is why now I'm championing, you know, challenge ageism, challenge stereotypes, promote pro-aging, because I think society needs to stop treating older women, especially in the workplace, the way that it does. Um, and I, I, I want to have that intergenerational dialogue as well with younger women in their 30s and 40s um, and say to them, you know, be aware of this, have it on your radar, start changing the narratives, don't allow this, what happened to me, to happen to you. I'm not a bitter, twisted old woman, you know, I've, I've dealt with it, whatever's happened to me, but because I felt so bad, I really want to try and help other women not to feel that bad and not to allow themselves to be treated that way in the workplace. Sure. And do you think, you know, that the ageism and the challenging stereotypes is a really interesting part of the journey that you're on at the moment. And um, do you think that what you experienced was specifically worse because of the environment you were working in journalism or do you think that from conversations and, and from your knowledge that it exists everywhere just as bad I thought it was predominantly in the media and advertising but when I went traveling around the world and subsequently having conversations with people and also since I've been on the road now I realized it's it's in all industries it's in all workplaces it's in it's endemic in society um, and I have noticed especially in lockdown during Covid there is a tribe of people out there both men and women who are trying to address this problem of ageism and the world um health organization now their their thing that they're promoting now this year is challenging ageism ageism in the world and, and how destructive it is um to be honest i haven't read much about it I, it's only just on my radar that they are and uh, they've announced that this is what they're going to be fighting through the next 12 months um so i need to find out more about it so it's showing that it it is a problem in all industries all over the world um sexism and ageism and it just needs to change i'm only a small voice i'm like a little ripple in the water but if i can 
instigate conversations, if I can make people think about things. I spoke to somebody yesterday who I'd had a conversation with her and said about being pro-aging, being championing pro-aging. And I don't like the fact that um, creams and beauty products are all anti-aging. It bugs me. And, and I think, you know, I want things to enhance aging. We're all aging from the day we're born. We're all aging. We're all going to end up old. So we shouldn't be seeing it as a negative because it's inevitable. But I want things that not anti, but things that will enhance. And she said now, whenever she picks up creams and looks at them, she thinks about it. It's on her radar now. And she talks to other people about it. So to me, that's one success in what I'm trying to do. And I'm also writing a book along the way. Um, called Ageless Fearless Women, You Can Do It Too. And it's it's aimed at sort of inspiring younger and older women to sort of tackle all these kind of issues. Yeah, I, I think that's really important, the fact that you're having conversations with all generations and putting that on, you know, younger women's radar because ageism will be around, I'm sure, for many, many years to come. And, you know, I think it's really valuable that those younger women are hearing from champions like yourself who are challenging those stereotypes and you know the anti-aging cream it's not something that I'd ever thought about until now but you're right there's that whole industry isn't there geared yeah oh my god let's not get old it's a terrible thing put all these creams on and eat all this stuff and you'll be fine but yeah you're absolutely right and you know I don't use any of that and I'm embracing the old age I don't care about the wrinkles and the gray hair starting to shine through but I think for me that's a reminder that um I need to make the most of, you know, what life there is left. It sounds not sounding morbid, but just like Jesus, we're only here once, living an an old person's life, if you like, get out there and live it while you can. But the thing is, we are who we are. We are the age that we are. We look the way that we look and we dress the way that makes us feel happy. Nobody is the police to say, well, that age shouldn't wear this or that age shouldn't do that. And I think we've got to, to... get more confidence in being like that I've not always been like this it's only now I'm become as I'm getting older I'm getting more comfortable with my skin I'm getting more vocal about what I like and what I don't like um and I'm I'm more interested in reading other people's opinions about aging and, and I've changed my opinion about things you know Botox and stuff like that is just not on my radar I don't like my wrinkles particularly but they're there and I've earned these wrinkles you know and this is what happens to us all yeah absolutely you said something earlier about life and about you know I think you're relating to it in terms of working in journalism and I imagine it's pretty fast-paced and challenging um mm. environment at times but the fact that you think we might be getting it a bit wrong in terms of working all these hours, yes, maybe earning great money, but buying all these things and then having to pay for it all through working even harder. Did, did you find that you kind of got trapped in a bit of a bubble like that in terms of the, the kind of hamster wheel of the rat race? Yeah, yeah and that's what happens. Um, I, like anybody else, I loved, you know, hosting the dinner parties, 10, 12 people, the champagne. Um, and I was known as the person for doing that. And I liked all, I like all the nice things. My nieces and nephews called me Champagne Siobhan. You know, I do like the nice things. But then I was losing sight of, of 
of, of life itself. And I was missing my friends. I was missing those weekends where you just hang out with friends in front of the fire and you go for a walk and you have the Sunday lunch because I was just so busy all the time, you know, out shopping. It was when you'd meet people and all they wanted to do was to go to their local shops and we're walking around shops. And I thought I wanted to be in the countryside. I wanted to just be chilling. And I just thought, We'd, we'd got it wrong. I, I was just missing what I'm doing now, really, being free. But it's sad, the irony is now I am free and I have got the time to see people. I can't see anybody. I've been stuck in this field here for nearly five months because of COVID. But you see, COVID has shown us all that we, you know, everybody's desperately missing family and friends now because that was the important thing. And also people realise they don't need to go out shopping all the time. They don't need to buy all that rubbish. And I really pray that it, it it's going to change the way that we're living. And also we don't have to travel and commute into work. Down in London, people are spending two or three hours commuting now. Like my daughter's been able to move out of London and buy a flat somewhere else because she doesn't have to commute into work anymore. Yeah, we're certainly in unique times, and and we've noticed, you know, from our own life um, and also friends and family that I probably life will never be the same, but in a good way. You know, like you've said, we're kind of valuing more the time spent with friends and family than we would have done and and everything has just slowed down really well you know I hope it's going to be a change though but you know I just don't want people to revert to kind I I read um today or yesterday that shops are going to be staying open till 10 o'clock so everybody can go in and get their fix of shopping and I'm thinking no 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 you know I wish shops didn't open on a Sunday not for religious reasons or anything but I just remembered that calmness of a Sunday when you'd walk around and places were closed and you'd pop to see your friends for a cup of tea and you'd go for walks and it was just nice whereas now life's just too busy too hectic. So your life now is extremely different to how it was when you were working for the BBC you're now in your motorhome on yep. amazing adventure so you mentioned previously when when we first started um, chatting that friends and family kind of thought that it was a bit just a bit of talk and that you wouldn't actually do it so tell us about how that plan came about you said it was the say a seed was sown when you were backpacking but yeah how did it come about you know how, how did it come from a little seed to an actual reality well I kind of realized that I could make things happen. I could face that fear when I decided to go around the world because I wanted to go around the world. um, I was a bit scared of it all. And I thought, right, what do I need to do? And I broke it down into what I needed to, okay, sell the house, get the money, free up this, do that. So the same kind of process when I thought, right, I I want to buy a motorhome. I want to go traveling. I want to write a book all this kind of thing. But I want to do it in Great Britain because I hadn't really explored my back door. So I started thinking, okay, so I need to get rid of most of my stuff. How do I do that? What do I do with that? And the photographs I took of my flat, it looked like I'd been burgled. I just, it took me ages, but I did that. I got rid of most of my things to charity and sold things and gave things away to friends. <coughs> then I decided 
I didn't have a clue what kind of motorhome I wanted. So one of my friends, Hamish, came with me um, and we spent about five hours one day going around loads and loads of places with motorhomes. And I'd spend hours on the, the internet looking till one or two in the morning at motorhomes all over the place, not sure what I wanted. But once I started looking inside them, I knew what I didn't want, what layout I didn't want. And when I w- walked inside this one, I just knew it was perfect because although the bed isn't a static bed, it doesn't take much to pull the side out and make my bed every night. It doesn't bother me, but it's got a good area where I can socialise. So when I can meet with people and I have met with people before COVID, I fit in here. Eight people have eaten in here and been in here and I've got a side awning that goes out. So I've parted a bit. So, you know, that's the kind of layout that I wanted. So I had to choose my motorhome. And then I was in a relationship um, with somebody at the time. Um, but he never really, we'd only been going out a couple of years, but he never really got his head round me doing this. So we ended up splitting up um, about three months after I, I hit the road. He used to come and meet me, but he helped me sort of, I bought the motorhome not far from where he lived and I took it to his place and stocked it all up and got it ready. And he helped me find my feet about filling the water and doing things. Um but in the meantime, when I was telling everybody from work, it was going to be my 60th, it was going to be my retirement, and it was going to be my Shabon Shavoff party. So I had a massive party in the July, and the graphic person at work made me a logo saying Shavon Shavoff with a motorhome and my face on, which I use, which was really kind of him. Um, and so once I had the big party, Uh, everybody realized that I was definitely going to be doing it that was in the July and I bought my motor and got it at the beginning of September and I set off just after the 15th of September on the road and I've been on the road what a year and a half or more now. Absolutely brilliant and in terms of your motor what so what did you go for in the end what what type? It's an auto trail um, and it's just a two birth um auto trail and it's got um like bench seats down and then I've got a shower <clears throat> a toilet and a shower although the shower plugs blocked today it's like oh, no <sighs> it's another challenge for me I've ordered a plunger on Amazon <laughs> and I've um, got got to sort it out but I can still have a shower but I have to scoot it all out with a cup into a bucket and chuck the water out that's just one of those problems but I've got a shower and a toilet and and it's a, a proper size shower I've got um love heating system and it blows out through I've got a fridge freezer I've got a microwave I've got an oven at Christmas I did myself a full Christmas dinner with just a, a turkey breasts but I did the whole trimmings and a Christmas pudding and the lot in the oven um and what else have I got and that's that's it really but it's it's got everything you need it's like a little bed set on wheels yeah yeah had you you ever owned a van before or had you ever lived in a van before any experience of van life no (laughs) no never driven one and so of course I had a couple of little um bumps at the back (laughs) so there's a couple of little cracks so like I when I was going backwards reversing into places when I first started driving I was in such a tears I'd be sort of trying because I my eyesight I've got long distance glasses and short distance glasses and I I try I have to be watching the dashboard and then putting glasses on to look at them and it was a, a nightmare so I bumped it a couple of times 
Um, and when I first set off, I two of my friends that I've known since I was 18, when I was nursing, my sister-in-law and a friend from Ireland came over and we went off to the Lake District together in the Yorkshire Dales. Um, and I did all my sort of driving a bit with them with me in the motorhome, sort of going steadily along the country roads because I was rubbish. I needed just moral support. But now I love it. Is there anything you missed from your past life? In a home. Do you know what? The main thing I miss is soaking in a bath. I, my go-to place whenever I've wanted to chill is I just fill a bath up, um, all the bubbles and everything, get myself a bottle of wine or a bottle of bubbly and some books or a film or whatever. And I can spend up to four hours just topping up and just chilling in the bath. And soaking my feet in a bucket of water is just not the same. No. <laughs> it's all in the motorhome. So I miss chilling in the bath. And especially at the moment, because I'm doing um, a charity walk for Care International UK. And it's a, a charity for women that help women all over the world, women and young ladies. And I'm doing this walk 100 miles um, in April. I've done, um, I've got 57 and a half miles left to walk. So I've just done seven today. Um, so I could that would be when I'd just run a bath and go and chill. Um, and I can't do that. I do miss that. So I'm going to see my daughter in a couple of weeks. And the first thing I'm going to do is just chill in her bath. Is there anything in the van that you wish you had that you don't have? Obviously, a bath is one thing, but is there anything that you think, oh, I could have done with a van with such and such? Or do you feel like you've got everything you need on wheels? No, I cannot believe how lucky I am that I chose the right kind of van because um, I've spoken to a lot of people who say that it tends to be maybe their second motorhome that they get. They buy the first one and they do a few on it and they start thinking, oh, no, I wished I'd had that and I wished I'd had that. There's a few little things um, like extra shelves that I would like. Um, you know, those little corner pine shelves you can put in. Um, just to bob things on because I try and make it as homely as I can um, but I'd like to put those shelves with little rims so things wouldn't fall off and I don't have to keep lifting them down off shelves but that it that it's tiny little things I've got myself a little gin bar in the corner with loads of little lights gin bottles that are lights and I switch it on. I've got my gin bar I've got my fruit bowl so I've got everything that I need really and the extra stuff I can't fit in I've got in extra shoes and things when I stop somewhere I just um I've got a big um bucket that I've got all my shoes in and I just put that underneath the motorhome outside but uh no I don't miss anything at all and and obviously life is weird at the moment because you're a bit stuck with the pandemic and travel restrictions but um tell us a bit about where you have been to date you know on your travel since you did set off um, <clears throat> where have I been? I went to the Yorkshire Dales and the Lake District, um, and I went up to Scotland and uh, I went to uh, Aviemore, and then there was a lock there called Lock Morlick. And that was early days I went there. It was January, February time last year. Um, and I went to the edge of one of the locks and I stayed there for nine days. And I 
one of the things I said to people in the newsroom was, I just want to go to the edge of a lock in Scotland and just scream, you know, with all the the bullying, the ageism, the my, the grief I had with my mum dying the year before my brother and my sister and all sorts. And that's exactly what I did one night when the, the moon was really bright. I walked to the other side of the lock that I'd parked on the edge and there was very few people there. Uh, camping there so I walked to the far side and I just screamed and I cried and I talked to my mum in my head and I just reflected on all kinds of things that when I was bullied at work and I just had conversations and I just let it all go completely it was really cathartic um so Scotland to me is it's got great memories because I drove away from there and I headed towards Loch Ness just feeling this renewed I just happy and I, I've got rid of all that bitterness and that stress and that anger I don't feel it genuinely don't feel it at all so I'd been in Scotland and then I drove down from Scotland and as I was driving down from Scotland it became apparent that there was going to be a lockdown so I deliberately headed towards Lancaster so that I could be near my sister and when I got there, I stayed on a little, what they call a CL site, part of the Caravan and Motorhome Club. And they were told that they had to close when the um, lockdown happened and everybody had to move. But luckily, the guy that owned that, he had some other land as well. He owned a big estate and he let me move to another bit of his land and said I could stay there. Um, and he looked after me. But neighbours weren't happy at all. They reported it to the police that he'd got a motorhome there. There was another couple that had come from Australia and she they bought a motorhome and they were going to visit her mum locally and then travel around Europe in the motorhome. And they got stuck. So he let them stay. So there were two two motorhomes there and we stayed in lockdown for the four months but the police came at the door and and it was quite scary because we didn't know what where to go if we weren't allowed to stay there because I was living in my motorhome um but as it was we stayed there and then I got to know Lancaster I was out on my electric bike all the time and going for walks it was beautiful and my sister used to bring me food and booze and things like that she wouldn't come near but um at a distance um so it was quite nice and I loved being there I was there for four months at the end of that lockdown loads of my relatives came with motorhomes and tents and things and we did a little mini Glastonbury which was good fun all together yeah we really enjoyed that um, and then I went to the Peak District and the Cotswolds and began traveling around again like I was doing. Um, and then eventually uh, lockdown happened again. And when I was in Norfolk and I didn't really know this area. And luckily for me, the same kind of thing happened. I was on a CL site. I'd said to the people who owned it, look, it looks like there's going to be a lockdown. I don't know where to go. Am I all right to stay here because I'm already here? And they checked with the the powers that be and the rules of the caravan and motorhome club. And because I was a freelance journalist, because I'm I live in here, because I was traveling here, I was allowed to stay. But again, I had lots of anger from the locals shouting at me, going, What are you doing here? Go home, you shouldn't be here. And but the the couple who own it this land they really looked out for me so much so that the supermarket shop they do an Asda shop every week message me say what do you want I send them pictures of what I want they add it to their shop and my shop's done so I've not even had to go do supermarket shops or anything um, and I've been here now for four months and I've explored this Blakeney clay by the sea wells by the sea all of it is such a beautiful area I've been lucky 
but a week today I can go and I can start moving and I can't wait. Can't oh, fantastic. Wait. What what a strange experience though. Obviously it, it sounds fantastic. You've had amazing hospitality from the landowners, but were you quite surprised with the reactions of the local people at, at where you are now and up in Lancaster? Yes, I was. I mean, in Lancaster, um, I was. I, I was really, really frightened just because the, the pandemic, COVID, everything that was happening, didn't really know what was going on. And I think everybody was frightened at the beginning and overreacting. Um, this time round, I was a bit frightened for a few days, but having gone through it before, I realised it would settle down. But the thing is, it's a beautiful village here and a lot of the homes, the second homes from people in London. And a lot of those people sadly have taken the mickey and have been travelling up there and back from London and breaking rules. So I can understand that they're a bit anxious. And to be fair to the local people, once they realised um, that I could stay, somebody took photographs of me as well and took them to the local council. So the local council phoned up the landowners and tried, said I had to move and they argued my case and told them the council to go and read the rules. Yeah. Um, and then eventually the council came back and said, oh, yes, she can stay. So, I mean, it went on for a while with people actually taking pictures. Um, but once they realised there's this three or four couples now that come, they actually call on me, check I'm all right, have chats. And if I'm on my walks, I meet up with them. We have long chats. And, and the, one couple have invited me to have drinks um, at a distance in their garden before I leave next week, which is very nice. Oh, that's really good to hear that there's been a bit of a change of heart and, you know, as time has passed, they've kind of accepted you. Um, yeah, and I'll definitely come back to this area. It's so beautiful. I really will. Yeah. And you mentioned fear a couple of times. And, you know, that sound, does sound like quite a scary situation when someone is basically trying to evict you from where you're living. You've got mm -hmm. nowhere else to go. Do you, do you, did you ever think about fears um as, as a solo traveller before you set off? Did you have any worries or concerns about the life you were you were going to go and lead in, in your motorhome? No, not really, because I've been on my own, really, on and off most of my life. I've not really been in long relationships other than the, the father of my daughter at the beginning. Um, so, no, I've lived in flats on my own and houses on my own and just I'm quite resilient and I'm not stupid when when I do my blogs and I do things uh, as, apart from where I've been stuck in the field here I tend to write things once I've moved on yeah. from where I, I am and I don't sort of make it quite obvious where I you know where I am so that just in case there are any nutters out there so I, I am conscious of my safety and what I put out there and what I don't put out there mm -hmm. um, and I've also got lots of family and friends on the end of the phone straight away you know that would help me and I never put myself in danger by wild camping I'd love to go wild camping in the middle of nowhere but I just think that would be one step too far that would be foolhardy and I wouldn't do that yeah. so I try to be conscious but I don't overthink the safety thing I think what will be will be my mum was very much like that she was a very strong woman and very philosophical about life and I think if I take certain precautions to protect myself as much as I can without restricting myself then you know what what will be will be sure so um in a few days time then you'll have the freedom to roam again mm -hmm. so 
do you have a plan or do you not have a plan? So I've read a couple of things on your blog that, that say something like you like to not have plans. So is that the case or yeah. do you know where you're going to head? Well, my plan is to have no plan. That was That's the big thing. And I'm still sort of sticking to that. But because um, I've been stuck in this field, I've got to know a group of people called the Yes Tribe. I've got my sweatshirt on now and it says, say yes more. And I got to know them just coming across them on the internet. And they... um, encourage people to have adventures and they support one another and they're worldwide there's little groups set up all over um and i'd say to anyone just google the yes tribe um and basically this say yes more to adventure they've supported me they, they've got a coffee morning every week at 10 o'clock on zoom and i've joined that and i've got to know lots of people and they've bought 15 acres of land about an hour and a half from here in lincolnshire and they they've they've got some alpacas and little pods for people and they're hoping to make it into some kind of eco place and they're planting trees and orchards and gardens so i'm going to go and hopefully help them a little bit because they've given to me they've given me sort of love and support and i felt like i belong so i want to go back and sort of try and give a little bit for them for a few days and also my brother doesn't live too far away so i'll catch up with him and then my daughter's just bought her first ever flat down in kent so um i'm gonna go down and see her and spend a few weeks helping her paint and do things um, and I'm on BBC Radio Kent every sort of six or seven weeks. I'm on where they sort of say, what are you doing now, Siobhan? Where are you with your motorhome madness? <laughs> and I say, at the moment, I'm saying I'm still stuck in a field. <laughs> um, but I'll go and catch up with all my friends and people that I know, obviously at a distance um, in Kent that, from living down there, because I've missed everybody. And I, I just need that social interaction. Being on your own for five months has been a test in itself, really. Yeah, it, it, it's bound to have been a, an absolutely huge challenge, but one that you've obviously embraced. And, and it sounds like you've got a lot out of, especially the exploring places in depth that you probably might not have spent as much time in. Yeah, I've got a lot out of it. I have to admit, at Christmas time, I had a bit of a wobble. I did actually consider giving it all up. Um because it, it, when the sun sets at sort of 20 to 4 and you're in your motorhome right through until sort of, you know, 8 o'clock the next, it's a long, long time, day in and day out, with no interaction with people. Even though I was doing Zoom calls and Zoom quizzes and things like that, it's just not the same. And I'm very much a people person. So I, I found that really hard some days to keep my spirits up and keep positive. But I was looking forward to my daughter coming for Christmas. She was going to come for three days. It was great. And then of course, Boris said that can't happen because yeah. of the tears and everything. Yeah. And I, that was very last minute. She couldn't come. And I just sobbed and sobbed and so I just thought, I can't do this. <laughs> um, and I had a couple of days feeling sorry for myself. I worked my way through the whole tin of Quality Street, which I bought to share. <laughs> Um, and I probably a bottle of gin and then I thought no come on Siobhan you're bigger than this you're not going to be beaten by a pandemic you're going to carry on and I only intended to do this for a year and I'm a year and a half in but I think I can see myself doing it for another year I want to finish what I started I want to finish my book Asia's Fearless Women You Can Do It Too I'm halfway through because again I lost my vote motivation writing that at one stage because I just got so down um but all of that is part and parcel of this experience and this adventure 
So, but after I've seen my daughter, I've got my fix of soaking in the bath and I've met up with all my friends. Um, I'm going to head off traveling again. I mean, I want to do Wales, Devon and Cornwall and Ireland. My plan, I want to do a good trip, a couple of months traveling around Ireland. Brilliant. Well, you know, um, you can always swing by here for a, a gin and quality street. Yeah. So we'll, we'll send you where we are. And ho- I mean, who knows? Because obviously when we can travel, we intend to jet off as quickly as we can. But who knows what's going to happen? But just thinking back to, you know, the time you said when you were struggling, you know, I can really empathize with that. And I know Amy would as well in terms of the ups and downs of the pandemic. Um and how weird it's been and you know living through the winter as well we we didn't think we'd be living in in our caravan over winter we thought we'd be long gone by then through Europe in the camper van and you know the weather and the dark nights and you know really affected us both as well even though we had Ollie to to keep us busy keep us um, occupied it, it was really tough you know like you said once the sun goes down and you're in your little box and there's not much else yeah. to do it's really challenging but um we're the other side of that now aren't we so you know on to and again feeling now that we're the other side of it you think yeah I, I I overcame that I survived that I didn't give in so it's another challenge another thing and, and I'm so glad because I really was near to thinking, do you know what? I'm just going to sell this, find myself a little flat and finish writing my book and I'll go and do some talks. Because that's another thing. I've been doing some talk, Zoom talks for people. Um, it's called Ages Fearless Women. You can do it too. But it goes through all my adventures from when, you know, very early on I've done um, traveling around India, then traveling, traveling, being a single mum. And I lived in when I was 17 that was my first adventure and then I just go through all being a nurse transition to a journalism running two marathons climbing the three Yorkshire peaks climbing Mount Melange all those in my 50s and I just sort of talk about my adventures and encourage people to to go out there and do it and be pro-aging yeah brilliant and we need these stories we need to be hearing these conversations we need to be you know having these books on the shelf and being able to read stories you know that just empower the women as well and and young people and you know so yeah credit to you I can't wait to to see how you get on with the book and when it's um eventually launched that'll be fantastic I need somebody to publish it for me though I'm writing away I need somebody to pub people say publish it yourself but I don't want to publish it myself I want to find a publisher and get them to help me get the word out there you know and and sell the book I don't want the effort of of doing it myself because I know I don't really know the best way to do it so if anybody knows a publisher out there who wants to write a book about pro-aging and adventures for older women yeah definitely get in touch anyone listening to this podcast or even if you've got a friend of a friend who knows a publisher really interested in these empowering stories of women then get in touch with Siobhan definitely no well I can't tell you how many women say they want to read it and they're that you know they're interested in it and how many groups I've been doing my talk for that are intrigued by it and say well we'll we'll buy your book but it is so difficult to get out to get books out there isn't it unless you know the right people yeah, I mean, we pu- we self published a book about a bike ride that I did about five years ago now, and I, you know, I put this the idea out there to a couple of publishers and got knocked back really quickly. And I was like, oh bugger it, it's only a little book. I'll give it a crack at publishing it myself. But it is it is a massive job to do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, 
an experience anyway. Well really done you for doing that though. <laughs> Thank you. It, it was um it actually writing the book was harder than the bike ride. So yeah, <laughs> go and get a publisher. <laughs> yeah. Um but it's it's great to hear that you do intend to carry on traveling in the van and you know getting that book written and stuff. I'm interested to know um you know, you, you mentioned about selling your flat. So is that partly funding your travels? Because you did mention in the blog as well that you're not eligible for pension yet. So how how are you kind of sustaining your lifestyle? I'm living off my BBC pension, okay. basically. I, I I was lucky enough. I, we got our BBC pension from when we're 60. Okay. Um, I'm not eligible for the state pension until I'm 66. Unfortunately, I was born in the 50s. And I was one of those people that was told too late that we're, our pensions were going to um, be, we weren't going to get them until we were 56. Because originally I thought, oh, I'll have my state pension and my BBC pension and I'll be cushy. But so I've got a lot less money. And also I was going to be doing part-time journalism and things and going out and talking in schools and going out to people. And you can't, I couldn't do that. So a lot of avenues of earning money were closed because of COVID. But I've got enough to live on and I'm enjoying it. And I'm hoping that, you know, my book will sell and I'll find other ways of earning money along the way. Um, but it's all about just quality of life. You know, and and yes, I had lots of money before and I had a big, lovely flat and what have you. But I don't need those things and I don't need lots of money. As long as I've got enough money to feed and clothe myself and to have a bit of fun, um, I don't need any more. How long can you see yourself like living motorhome life then? Do you see yourself going back to getting a little place again or do you see yourself kind of traveling a bit longer or is it a bit open ended? It's open-ended. I mean, I'm saying I'll give myself a year, but I, I don't know if I really particularly want to do another winter in, in a motorhome. But then I don't know, maybe I might venture to go into Europe. I, I, I wasn't going to do that because everybody tends to do that as part of their journey. They head off. I wanted more to say, I want to see what's on my doorstep. And I am finding the most incredible places that are literally taking my breath away. I mean, even this North Norfolk area, I've I've had some incredible sunrises and sunsets and beautiful walks and bike rides here. And and I, I'm blessed to have, have been locked down in such a beautiful place. And the same with Lancaster. Um, and Wales, I don't know Wales very much at all. I've only been to a few places. So I really want to do all Pembrokeshire coast and everywhere and really explore it. But again, I'm a bit nervous because people are, are getting cross with motorhome owners and with staycation. So many people have gone out there and purchased motorhomes that really aren't on the right level, on the same level as me, you know, of, of travel and and wanting to get the most out of life. They're just doing it because they have to. And I hope they don't ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think that's a good point to to just mention briefly that, um, you know, whilst I think van life has been quite, um, lots of people have wanted to do it and go out and wild camp and have this amazing experience that, um, certainly we see lots of things in the media about councils not welcoming motorhomes or, you know, the, the negative stories about motorhomes or camper vans taking up spaces on seafronts, leaving loads of rubbish and things like that. So it's I think it's quite a difficult time at the moment for that way of living. But I guess if if you're going to be mainly on site, then it, it's a bit different and you can still live that that free life, I guess. 
Well, that's what I'm hoping. And I tend to go for the sites where um, you can only have five vehicles. I, I don't go so much for the big sites. I was saying that I'm going to a big site down near my daughter just because that's convenient. Um, but on the whole, I try to find the little what they call CS sites or CL sites from the motorhome clubs. And they're only allowed a maximum of five vehicles on them. And they're like this field. It's literally just got electric plug in, um, water taps and somewhere to enter the loo. There's nothing else. And that's the way I like it. Just keep it simple. Yeah. So just just kind of finishing up then, um, kind of looking at your, your life now. Did you ever see that, like, your retirement life would look like this? I never really saw my retirement life. I, I'm very much, I live the day for the day. So I never looked and thought what I'm going to be. I just, I do feel ageless. I do feel, I just do think I'm very spontaneous about doing things. If that's what I want to do, then I just go off and do it. And I don't think too much about it. Um and I'm sure as my body gets, you know, creakier and it won't do the things that I want to do, I will slow down a bit. But then I'll have adventures in other ways. I don't know. Um, but it, it's the perfect kind of retirement for me. I'm enjoying it. Good. Just tell us quickly what some of your key highlights have been so far on your last uh, 18 months. I think one of the highlights has been it was on the edge of Loch Morlick. Um, in Scotland because that was so cathartic to me and I got rid of a lot of negativity negativity and anger and things that I've been holding inside of me from childhood even all the way through so that that was one of my top points Um, meeting my daughter and um, my brothers and sisters and family after the first lockdown that was a a big highlight for me Um, and I'm hoping that my next big highlight is going to be a week today when I set off again. <laughs> We're excited. <laughs> yeah, I'll be playing the music. I'm on the road again. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to the Instagram stories about that. Thank you. Um, obviously, this podcast is all about women who are living life differently. What would you say to any other women listening to this who might be on the cusp of doing something differently, but are perhaps a bit fearful, um, maybe lacking a bit of confidence to make some changes. What would you say to those women? I would say to them, listen to that little voice that's telling you that it's something that you want to do and just break it down, work out a way of doing it. Maybe not the whole adventure, part of the adventure, but experiencing something. Listen to the voice face the fear and do it and the the feeling you get afterwards is just incredible it's worth it and and it'll it, it'll make you into a different kind of woman a different kind of person wise words and a very powerful message and another thing I kind of wanted to just finish on is to ask you what you think we could all be doing to challenge ageism and to challenge those ageist stereotypes I think call people out in a nice way, not a confrontational way, but try and have those discussions about anti-aging creams, um, anything anti-aging. Let's try and say positive aging and pro-aging. I want those to be as commonplace as the words anti-aging. And also when somebody says to you, oh, you're looking good, you don't look, oh, you don't look your age, you know, 
I used to think <clears throat> that was a compliment, but actually it's not. This is the age. This is what we look like. This is our age. It's not. It's not a compliment to say you don't look old. We should encumb- We should own old. Old is a good thing. We're all go- going to get old. So let's stop the the narratives, the negative narratives about aging and getting old. It's a positive thing. Positive about the way we look, the way we feel, and and what we've done in life to get to this stage. It's a privilege to age. Brilliant. And Siobhan, where can people find you uh, to follow your adventures and travels? Where can they find you on the internet and social media? Well, I've got, I'm on Instagram um, under Siobhan Shavoff, S-H-U-V-O-N-S-H-U-V-O-F-F. I'm on, uh, I've got a blog, which is siobhanshavoff.blogspot.com. And I'm on Twitter under Siobhan Daniels. So that's S-I-O-B-H-A-N-D-A-N-I-E-L-S. And that's and I'm on LinkedIn as well under Siobhan Daniels. Oh, and I've just started TikTok. <laughs> I'm, I'm Siobhan Daniels six. I'm loving it. I've I've only posted about ten videos, but I'm getting followers. I've got oh, I think I've got about six followers. <laughs> but it's great fun doing it, and it just gets you out there. So hopefully, I'll get more followers. Brilliant. Well, we'll definitely share those each of those links in the show notes so people can just click automatically and follow you. Siobhan, thank you so much for your time today. I think we could carry on and on for quite a while, but maybe we'll have to do that over a, a gin and a tub of Quality Street oh, yeah. here in Wales. I hope I'll meet up with you guys somewhere along the line. It'd be nice to. Yeah, if we don't meet in Wales, then, you know, before we set off, hopefully on a European adventure, if we don't run out of time, um, we've got people to see in the UK before we set off. So fingers crossed our paths will cross. It'd be great to meet you in person. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. We hope that Siobhan's story has made you think about life on four wheels and also about challenging ageism. We need to get away in our camper van. (laughs) Rescue us, (laughs) let us out. Siobhan's story was really, really inspiring and brilliant to hear how she's chosen to use retirement life. And I loved how passionate she was about challenging ageism and challenging ageist stereotypes. She made me think about things I'd never thought of before, you know, all the anti-aging stuff you see on TV. She's so passionate about just embracing your age and who you are. Credit to, credit to you, Sharon. I think the fact that we, I personally anyway, feel like we're kind of getting into that age group where it's not as acceptable to be going off exploring in our camper van. People assume that we should by now at least be grown up and settled down, <laughs> whereas we're going completely the opposite and kind of getting rid of everything we own and going off traveling in the camper van. So, yeah, it's nice to know that there's other people that have that same kind of drive for life and non-conforming. I love that. And I also loved, and it was a really nice surprise, the bit about her backpacking around the world at the age of 50. I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. And it was excellent to hear all the countries she visited, you know, what she did, how she used her time. And that was really brilliant as well. That kind of reminds me of my mum. My mum refused to travel until we moved to Malta Mm -hmm. and then she got on the aeroplane and literally put her hands up in front of her in the shape of a steering wheel on the plane all the way to Malta because that was the only way that she could be in control of that (laughs) aeroplane after that trip we couldn't stop her um she literally went to Australia a couple of months later yeah Alaska Canada India all over Sweden yeah yeah so yeah no matter what your age you can you know change your life and do more adventurous things 
So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be very grateful if you could share it with your friends and family so that we can reach more people with these amazing stories. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy the stories that we're sharing and would like to support us, then visit our profile on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Mahojos. We've set that up recently. Um, it's a little website where you can either just, you know, chuck us a few quid our way to buy us a coffee or you can become a regular supporter. Uh, more about that on that website. We'll put that in the show notes. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. Links are going to be in the show notes as usual. Feel free to reach out and say hi. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast so far and where you're listening from. That's it for now. Look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Take care and stay safe.